Well, good morning, church. Happy May. I've got a couple of announcements before I get to the sermon. The first is this. We have worked, uh, tried, we've really tried hard to be sensitive to the COVID protocol and what we need to do and not need to do and how we go forward. And uh, so, so we've been in dialogue with this since it happened 14 months ago. So I just want to let you know that we're on track now to make the last Sunday of May our first mask optional worship service. So that'll happen. Yeah. That'll happen. Uh, I know some people will say we need to make it longer. Others will say we should have done this a while back, but we're just trying to be sensitive. We will continue to gauge the numbers and to make sure that we're not acting in an unkind or cavalier fashion. So that's the last Sunday of this month, Memorial Day weekend. I did mention this last week, but don't forget next week is Mother's Day, all right? Um, also, the other thing is this. We really need your help. We have, um, we, we love children. We love the coming generation. We believe that we should be about building into the next generation. The Bible says time after time, proclaim the goodness of the Lord from one generation to the next. Why do you build this monument? Why do you build this Ebenezer? So you can tell your children and your children's children, this represents the faithfulness of God. So we're about children. We have a wonderful children's department. We have a great school, pre-K through 12. We have middle school and high school and college. We, we just love the coming generation, but we need your help. So we're asking people to really pray about getting involved in our children's ministry in the month of June and July by serving at least three weeks in some capacity. Uh, we really need workers, especially in nursery through two years of age. You just kind of hold babies and you're there if you need, you're needed. Uh, we need people to work preschool three to five years of age. And at this point, we're, we're, not, we're, we're so low on workers. We've had a 75% increase in the number of kids coming back since January, but we've had little response to the volunteers. So that's not working out. So we're even thinking about not doing anything at 9.30 regarding nursery. That really bothers me. We should staff a nursery at 9.30, but we need you to respond. So three, three times in those two months or more, and, and there's going to be this in the Welcome Center and at the kiosk. It is a summer Sunday statement beginning the 6th of June, and I've been told that you can go online and do the QR code. I have no idea what that means, but that, that's what I've been told you can do with your cell phone. So the, somebody said, well, just sign up online. Here, here's my problem with signing up online. We need your help now. And what happens, a lot of times people say, that's a good idea. And by the time you get home and go online, you forget about it. It's kind of like, you know, when I asked my wife to marry me, I didn't say, go to willyouaccept.com and enter this code. I, I wanted an immediate response so that her discernment would not be too great to say no. Uh, so, so what we're saying is, to get your phone out, do that today. Something we really need your help. We really need your help. So that, that, I think that's something to do that we should be doing, okay? So that's summer Sunday coming up. We're going through this statement. This, it's really it's a mission statement just to talk among ourselves the way we want to be going in the future post-COVID. And then the, little, the, the statement is helping, which means to come alongside, helping broken people, that's us, to treasure, worship, adore Jesus. It's a simple little statement, five words. Helping broken people treasure Jesus. So 
it's interesting that when people hit walls, and we, we all hit walls. When people hit walls, and as I've observed through the years, either, either we look to the Lord and go up, or we become bitter and angry and ticked off and, and drift. For example, in the book of Job, Job, prosperous man, loses his herds, his seven sons and three daughters die in a tragic accident. He's losing his health. And Job says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord because he's tasted the goodness of the Lord. Even in, a, even in his understanding of the majesty of God that compared to ours, this side of the cross and the empty tomb and the, and the scripture is much more than Job. He says, I'm going to trust the Lord. His wife represents the other extreme. His wife looked at him in the next chapter and she says, go ahead and curse God and die. Just go ahead and curse God and die. The bitter, the that was slipping away. Something like the poem by a guy named Dylan Thomas that says regarding death, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Or another poem by a guy named William Ernest Henley that says, it matters not how straight the gates, how charged with punishment the scroll. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. He says, I call the shots. So, so when you, you, hit, you hit these walls, and either in your brokenness, in your pain, we're all broken. We either look to the Lord or we drift away and become bitter and, and withdrawn and uncaring. So Job went on and said later in the book, he says this, though he slay me, in Job 13, Yet I will trust him. Even if he slays me, I'm going to trust him because I've, I've tapped into the goodness of God. And again, his knowledge was nothing compared to what we have. So in John chapter 1, it says that in him was life, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. And then in John chapter 10, this verse about the shepherding grace of Christ, verse 9, says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out, and he will find pasture. In other words, you've tasted the goodness of the Lord. So you hit the wall, you go up. Or in John chapter 6, there's this situation where Jesus is saying some very hard things, and it says the Jews were grumbling against him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, you're, you're the son of Joseph. We know your father and your mother. How can you possibly say, I have come down from heaven? And he goes on, Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then he says, verse 54, says that this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread your fathers ate and died Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. My flesh and my blood, the reality of the cross. And it says, many said to him, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And many left. Many of his disciples left. And he turns to the 12. And he says, will you go also? And Peter says, I, I think this is the high mark of Peter's life as I've read it. Peter steps forward and, and this is what he says. 
He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So, so because we've tasted the goodness of the Lord, when we hit the wall, we do that. Life is full of pain. We're all broken. There's a play called As You Like It by Shakespeare, and one of the memorable lines is by Rosalind, and she says, how, how full of briars is this work-a-day world? Really quoting the book of Genesis. How, how full of briars is this work-a-day world? There, there are briars. She could have been quoting Romans chapter 8, where Paul talks about creation and bondage. Listen to these verses. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul says creation is groaning. Creation wants the full redemption to come. They want the, creation wants the new heavens and the earth, new earth. And he says, and we're groaning as we hit walls and as we struggle. We groan as we long for our full adoption and the full embrace of God in glory. So we're broken people. It's difficult. So I'm going to go to a passage this morning that is a mind-boggling passage. And there are two statements here that I think are, one is counterintuitive, the other is just oxymoronic. But this is Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul says a man had revelations, it's an autobiographical account, but then this is what he says. He's had these visions of the glory of heaven, verse 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, plural, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me and to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, that it should be taken from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So the first statement, I think, is just counterintuitive. It flies in the face of everything we've been taught. Verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. Here's a counterintuitive. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. This thorn in the flesh, we don't know what it was, may have been bad eyesight, but Paul pled three times. I didn't just say, hey, God, can you take it away? He probably fasted and prayed and laid before the Lord maybe for hours and said, God, take this away from me. It's killing me. And the Lord's response is, my grace is sufficient for you, so far so good. 
my power is made perfect in your weakness. Wow. And then verse 9, oxymoronic, or verse 10, excuse me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Flies in the face of everything we've ever been taught. And yet this is what the scripture says. So I'm going to give you four quick points. The first is this. There's a pathway to happiness which goes through the valley of humility and humiliation. There's a blessedness in brokenness because you understand your brokenness, your sin, as you hit walls and you just, you understand the grace and the mercy of God that needs to be poured into your life by the Holy Spirit. There's a little book. It's a collection of prayers. It's, I got it 25 years ago, several copies. When it was, nobody knew about it, but now it's, a lot of people love it. It's called the Valley of Vision. And the first opening prayer, I'm just going to read part of it to you. It's called the Valley of Vision. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, you have brought me to the valley of vision. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the crown is to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. The broken heart is the, the healed heart. So, so basically, when, you, when we hit these issues, these thorns in the flesh, where we come up short. These experiences that take away our energy and our breath, either we can look up or we can drift into bitterness. So they're, they're, they're kind of two paths. So, so one path is to understand that the path of blessedness is one given to us by the, our Abba Father, and this path of blessedness has difficult places where we see the glory of God, where his grace is sufficient. Jesus says Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You just, the poor in spirit, those who see their sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then blessed are the meek, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And only then, see, it's, it's, it's a progression, only then, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You will never hunger for righteousness, never pant for the things of God until you see your sin, you mourn over it, you walk in humility. I believe that. So, so, so the, the, that's the path, the, the valley of vision. The other path is one of, of, of self-affirmation, self-promotion, selfhood, where you say it's, 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 it's all about me what I can do, and I'm, I'm the captain of my fate, the master of my soul. So years ago, it's embarrassing, when I was in graduate school, I, I, I took a goals-keeping course that somebody offered and paid too much money for it. And part of their deal was uh, every week you should uh, write down every month affirmations, and you need to look in the mirror and say it four or five times a day, and these affirmations will change you. 
I, maybe there's some truth to that, but I, I think it's a bunch of baloney mostly. But um, so, so you would write down like, I am a, a brave and courageous man. Look, look, or I am, I am uh, very handsome and muscular. Steel's not working. I've been doing it for a long time now. Or, or whatever. But I came across these affirmations. That, and they're kind of said tongue-in-cheek. I'll just give you four or five. I, I assume full responsibility for my actions except the ones that are someone else's fault. Second, I no longer need to punish, deceive, or compromise myself unless, of course, I want to stay employed. Third, in some cultures, what I do would be considered normal. I like that one. Next, today I will gladly share my experience and advice, for there are no sweeter words than these. I told you so. And the last is the COVID. Just for today, I will not sit in my living room all day endlessly watching TV. Instead, I will move my TV into the bedroom. So, so the, but let, let me give you some biblical affirmations. They're going to show you this is from Ephesians chapter 1, where it says that we've been given, given all the blessings that we need by Christ in the heavenlies. We, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus. We are eternally loved before the foundation of the world by the living God. We've been adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. And that works. And then the last is just the next verse. It says, and he's lavished these things upon us in all wisdom and insight. Not just kind of parsimoniously dropped them, but lavished. Lavished them on us. So, so those, there's a pathway to happiness, and it goes to the valley of, of humility. Secondly is the good gifts of God can keep us from tasting his mercy because we're not aware of our brokenness. It gets there eventually. Uh, the, the human, the, the UN releases a human development index every year. And so it just came out a few, few weeks ago that uh, ranks nations upon economics, uh, education, healthcare. So the top 25 or so nations are all within a hair breadth of each other. We're number 17. Number 17. We're, we're right behind England, Belgium, and New Zealand, and Canada. They're all right there and right there within front of us. The number one place the UN says is Norway, followed by Ireland. So, but, but I just thought it's very difficult for people who live in lands of opportunity. This is a great land of opportunity. This is a great land of privilege. It's hard for us to understand especially if we're young, the importance of just our brokenness. Uh, but I thought if, if, I, if I were preaching today in the bottom five of the 189 countries that were indexed, if I were preaching in Burundi, which is just south of Rwanda, or the southern Sudan, or Chad, or the Central African Republic, or the last Niger, they fully understand See, the problem with, 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 with some of us is that the good gifts have gotten in a place where it's obscured our understanding of seeing the grace of Jesus. An example. So I, I love people that are going for it. The cultural mandate is be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. I'm so glad for people that worked on our COVID uh, vaccine tirelessly. 
Operation Warp Speed, and got it done. And we have access where other countries have limited access. We, we have universal access now. I'm so thankful for that. I'm, I'm so thankful for, for people who pioneered in the field of dentistry. You know, I, I think about George Washington. The reason you never see George Washington smile is he had no teeth. In fact, some people say they kind of had a wooden or enamel type thing that, that just porcelain that he kind of that, that didn't work. Or the Mona Lisa. And the reason she's not... She doesn't have any teeth. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm so glad that abscess teeth can be dealt with. So I just pulled. I mean, uh, I, I really am, I'm thankful for people who have, uh, uh, for anesthesiologists. I'm so thankful that, that I can go and have surgery. And not, uh, I'm thankful for all these things. Thank you. So I, I, don't, I don't lament that. I'm so thankful for air conditioners. Yeah, I mean, sometimes in our summers, I think, what did they do 100 years ago? Did you ever think that? I said, well, they went to Somerville. I said, Somerville's still pretty hot. I know it's Somerville, but it's still hot. Thank God for air conditioning. And yet, in, in our comforts, we can easily miss out on the physical comforts, our successes, the, the, the call to see the beauty of Jesus. That's why 1 Timothy chapter 6, Timothy is writing about how to care for people who have wealth. He says, verse 10 he says, for, for the love of money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this that, that, that this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And what happens? You, you start loving money and you start loving things and, and you don't really deny the Lord. We just wonder, 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 and you don't put your treasure in Jesus. You put your treasure in things and you slip and you slip and you slip. And he says the end result, they have pierced themselves with many pains. Therefore, verse 17, he says, Timothy, uh, I say to you, as for the rich in this present age, command them not to be haughty or to put their hopes in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So nothing wrong with money, but you can just slip, slip or any family, whatever, that, that can obscure the importance of the primacy of following Christ. Just reading the Confessions of Augustine died in 430, and this is what he says, chapter 38. He says, just four sentences. Late have I loved you. Late, he's 38 to 42. Okay. Late have I loved you, beauty so old and so new. Late have I loved you. I was in the external world and sought you there and in my unlovely state, I plunged into those lovely created things which you have made. He said, you know, he said, I, I plunged into the world of lovely created things, but I didn't give you the credit for it. He said, I, I didn't see you behind everything. He says, even though you made all things and they had their existence in and through you, and I, I didn't see it. And then, said, then you called and I cried out loud and, and shattered my deafness. You were radiant and resplendent. I read this, I said, Lord, break through our deafness and our blindness to show us the glory of Christ in everything around us. I said, a, a wedding last night, and it was beautiful. What a night. I talked to somebody, so we had CSU had their graduation exercises yesterday. What a day to have an outdoor graduation exercise. It was beautiful. And I thought, how can you sit under these massive trees and look at this beautiful sky and see the, the, the water coming up and not say, like the psalmist says in Psalm 19, the, the, the whole creation shouts the praise of God. 
he says, day after day after day after day after day, creation pours forth speech. And yet, you go to most Sierra Club meetings and they think of nothing beyond the immediate created order. They don't see it. If you know Jesus, you see it everywhere. You say, new heavens, new earth are coming. This is beautiful. It's going to be 10 million times more beautiful than heaven. So the good gifts. Statement in the bulletin by, or worship guide by, by Calvin, who died in 1564, when probably the average lifespan was 37, 38 years of age. This is what Calvin says. He says, we, we undertake all things as if we were establishing immortality for ourselves on earth. If we see a dead body, we may philosophize briefly about the fleeting nature of life, but the moment we turn away from the sight of the thought of our own Restricted living is gone. He says, you know, they saw a lot of dead bodies in those days. Lots of dead bodies. He says, you see a dead body and say, well, that's going to happen to me one day. And you turn and you immediately forget it. And I pray that we don't forget this pathway of glory and goodness. And this hope that he breathes into our heart. Number three, the, the denial of 2 Corinthians 12, 9 can lead us to dishonesty. Again, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 says this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So uh, I need to understand that I desperately need the grace of Christ. And when I get my thorns in the flesh, and we all get them with this marriage Conflict with this with your kids, with this with your job, with this with your health, with this with fill in the blank. It's there. I need to run to the grace of Christ. I, growing up, long before videos and way before cable, uh, every spring, CVS would show The Wizard of Oz. And my brother and I could not wait for The Wizard of Oz on a Sunday night in the spring. We watch it every year. You know, the lollipop kids, Toto, all that kind of stuff. But in, in, in one place, I thought about this so many times through the years. In one place, Dorothy and the Tin Man and Scarecrow and the Lion and, and Toto, they, they've made their way to the Emerald City and they're there to see the great Oz with his big face, kind of like these screens, you know, the big, great Oz, you know, and the all-powerful Oz. And, and as they're Listen to the all-powerful Oz and presenting their, their issues. Toto goes behind them, pulls back a curtain, and, and they see behind the curtain just a regular guy who's projecting the Oz, who's doing the voiceover. And as he looks and he sees them looking at him, he says, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Pay no attention. And I thought many times that's what we say to ourselves. You know, pay no attention to your, your need. Pay no attention to that thorn in the flesh. Pay, pay no attention to that issue in your life that is being used of the Father to humble you, to show you the glory of Jesus. I, see, there, 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 comes, there comes times, whether it's every, every once in a while or sometimes a cataclysmic event where you hit a wall and, and the thorn of the flesh just takes you down. And, and, and so when you hit that wall, you look to Jesus and say, God, use this in my life for this 
child Mary, what, instead of becoming bitter. I, so when I was doing this, I thought about a, a dear man. Uh, I graduated from Citadel, went overseas to Singapore for two years, coached basketball, worked with youth. And I, I, I lived with a missionary family my first year. And the missionary family I lived with, they had about four or five of us living in a pretty large place. And, but we had meals together, and I got to know the man. He's 50-ish, a little bit older. His name was Bob Wakefield. And uh, Bob was just a, a, a gracious, caring, open, spontaneous guy. I was 22, pretty legalistic, Citadel graduate, everything's like this. And um, so, so Bob... After I've been a few weeks, Bob said, Let's, we have a meal together. He said, well, I want to tell you my story. I said, oh, okay. And he said, um, five years ago, I went home on emergency leave to Missouri. And so I went through a battery of tests, and some doctors told me I had months to live. I had cancer. And he said, I, I remember leaving the medical complex and going home before the treatment began, thinking I had months to live. And I, I fell down in my parents' front yard. And he said, I buried my face in that blue-green Missouri grass. And I cried out and said, God, if you give me life, I want to I live as unto you like I've never lived before. I want to live with love or mercy. And he said, and God's extended my life. And I thought, wow. I mean, he lived that way. So he, he hit hit a wall. I think one of my favorite writers of the last century, a guy named Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Uh, he was raised in a, his dad died when he was in the womb, never knew his dad. A, a brilliant man, went, received an advanced degree in physics and math, was an artillery officer for the Soviets on the Eastern Front, highly decorated. He wrote one letter with a two-sentence statement to his best friend questioning the leadership of Joseph Stalin. That's it. They took him off, stripped his officer's insignias off of his uniform, and sent him into hard labor in Siberia for eight years. And uh, while he was there, he found out he had cancer. And the doctor who was treating him and cared for him was a, a, a Baptist, and he shared the gospel with him. And that very night, the Baptist pastor was beaten to death with a hammer by one of the thugs in the, in the camp. And this is in Siberia. And so Solzhenitsyn recovered. And years later, this is what he wrote about his prison experience in Siberia, laying on straw that's filled with parasites. He said, bless you, prison." Bless you for being in my life, for there lying upon the rotting prison straw. I came to realize that the object of life is not prosperity, as we are all made to believe, but the maturity of the human soul. He became a believer and wrote some of the finest books of the 20th century. Now, what I'm saying is that you get these thorns in the flesh, your own sin difficulties. And either you run to the cross or you drift. And see, the thing about it is that we are all broken sinners. And Abba Father brings situations and issues into our life 
to show us the blessing of knowing Christ. There's a book called uh, The Heart of a Servant Leader, one of the top books by a guy named C. John Miller, Professor Westminster, wonderful man. This is what he says. Ah, this is so good. This, I love the word picture. He says that Jesus knocks at the front door of the heart, <clears throat> and in response, we don't immediately open the door. Instead, we quickly put locks on the door and push the furniture against it. Then the Lord sends the Holy Spirit to slip into the back door. He goes down into the basement where he turns up the heat and sets fires until the rising heat forces us to remove the barriers and open the front door and let Jesus in. And he says, I believe the Lord keeps doing this throughout our lives. He says, we have an obsessive need to feel in control of our lives. And such a hunger is, pri is a primary obstacle to the Holy Spirit's work and mightily in us and through us. And what he's saying is, you know, Jesus says, I want you to do this. And we say, I hear you. And you lock the door and push the furniture against it. And God, to get our attention, goes in through the basement and he lights fires and turns up the heat until we're forced to open the door and let Jesus in. Those are thorns in the flesh. That's what Paul is saying here. To keep me from being conceited, God, God gave me this reality. The Father does that. He may be doing that right now in your life. There's an issue. You're going, man, give it to the Lord. Go his way. And then the ultimate reality, Psalm 56. The psalmist, David's in a bad place in Psalm 56. He says that, that all day long men attack me. All day long. He says they trample on me. Twice he says, my enemies trample on me. The man tramples upon me. <clears throat> he says, all day long they injure me, verse 5. All their thoughts are against me for evil. Then he says this. This is amazing. But you, O oh God, have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And he says, you know, God, the, the Father, keeps track of the times we're awake at night and we're breathing sighs and I can't do it again. He keeps a record of the tears we've wept. And this is the ultimate reality. He says, this I know. Here's a guy that's been trampled on. Trampled on. In fact, we think the background of this is he's captured by the Philistines. The Philistines say, we need to put him to death. He's a great warrior. And David acts like a madman and foams in the mouth and licks the door edges. And he says, just, he feigns stupidity and, and illness. And the king says, I've got enough madmen. Let him alone. But David says, they're out to kill me. They watch my steps. But he says this, this I know God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And I, 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 that's, that's, I know that's hard. That's the basic belief that God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit is for us. And so when we hit these things, we have these thorns in the flesh. They remind us of our need, and so we cry out to God for mercy. We're broken people. We are. And therefore, we walk with other people, and we all together say, let us treasure and worship and glory in Jesus. So, let's pray. Lord, this is a passage that is just hard to get your arms around, and yet it is full of glory.
How is it possible that your power is made perfect in our weakness? How is it possible that you take bleakness and brokenness and sorrow and make it into something beautiful? How is it that we can cry out at our most horrendous moments, the grace of Jesus is sufficient? So I pray that for people today, people that are hurting. And Lord, I, I thank you for thorns in the flesh that just cause us to sit down and say, I need the empowering grace of Jesus. Whether it's marital conflict, whether it's kids, whether it's dealing with the breaking down of our bodies, whether it's vocational issues, relational I just Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that you continually show us how we need you. We renounce self-sufficiency. We renounce affirming that we're unique and the most wonderful person alive. We renounce that, and we glory in the goodness of Jesus. We glory in it. Have mercy upon us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.